0: this episode of The Beat Happening, we welcome a musician, producer, and teacher with a list of achievements and contributions to the culture longer than this introduction has space for, but we'll mention a few. DJ for Diggable Planets, one half of dance music duo eCulture, co-founder of Back to Basics, a club night that helped shape the early Neosoul movement, and a member of the worldwide broken Beat community in the early 2000s. Today, an assistant professor of music at UCSD where he has created a course that celebrates black innovators in electronic music. A son of Philadelphia and torchbearer for the city's rich music history, welcome King Britt.
1: What up? How you doing? Good. Yeah, what up, what up? What's what's going on, Kuma? I just want to say it's pioneers of color or, you know, I include, you know, Latinx, sure. I include Asian community. You know, gotcha. any any community innovators,
0: innovators from marginalized communities. Exa- yeah, exactly, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah, Thanks. cool. Um, so we thought, you know, like I said, you you're probably the first actually guest that's really like. If we had six hours, we might just begin to get to like do most of the stories that we want to do. We'll start with the. We'll start with the Silk Silk one thirty Album. Justin was kind of curious about the Grover Washington collaboration.
2: I wanted to know if it was a conscious decision to put him on the Dr. Rhythm drum machine instead of modern drums to, make, to give it that authentic sound where the record could have been from 78 or you know 76. Um, for that tune, was that a conscious decision or is it what just happened? You know. And then I'll let you uh, dive in with your, your story, if possible.
1: Absolutely. All right. I'm loving this already. So um, for those who don't know, Silk 130 is uh, basically a collective of all the kind of top musicians from Philly uh, at the time, right before, quote unquote, the Neo Soul movement. We actually were the DNA for it. So um, our club, Back to Basics, had everybody from James Poyser, Questlove, all the way to Dre and Vidal, from you know producers of uh, Usher and all these different R and B groups, and it was kind of like um, DJs and uh, musicians all together creating this synergy in the clubs. So the band would play over and over, and then I was like, "This was post Diggable Planets tour," and I was like, "While on tour with Digable, I was writing the Silk 130 album, the first one." When the Funk Hits the Fan, and I was like, wow, I need to get all of these musicians to kind of recreate a lot of the samples that I used to create the demos and that sort of thing. And so that's how it kind of started. Now, the first album was a dedication to my parents who were on the album, and also just like my upbringing with Funk Soul and that sort of thing. The second album, Remembers Only, which is my favorite. I hope people don't get upset about that but that's my favorite of the Silk uh, the second album it's because of my heroes are on there so I work with ABC Martin Fry, I work with Alison Moyet, oh my god that story's crazy and uh, it brings us to, you know Kathy Sledge, De La Soul but it brings us to what you were asking about which is Grover Washington Jr. so the here's the wild thing so Grover's son is like my homie, G3, Grover Washington, the third. So G3, we all were roommates. So it was Josh Wink, my friend Blake, Grover Washington's son, and myself. So we're all in this house and we each had a floor. So Grover's dad would come over all the time, like, and just go see how his son is, see how we're doing and whatever. And, you know, he would always joke, like, you know, King, whenever you're ready, I'm like, okay, I got you, you know. I'm like That's Grover Washington, you know. What I mean? And then
2: we were, were you taking him serious? I,
1: I kind of, but I was just so intimidated. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, I was really intimidated, right. even though I knew him. I still was intimidated. It's Grover Washington Jr., you know what I mean? And so my ex-wife at the time, my ex-wife at the time was like you really need to, and this was years, this was like a, a little bit later, right? When I was married and stuff, she was like, you really need to work with Grover, like, because she was friends with Grover's, Grover senior uh, wife, and they would hang out, and the wife would always be like, you know, Grover really wants to work with King. Like, it was real, it was a real thing, and I says, okay, so the time was right, I had this song for love. And so basically the track itself. Now, Koopma had asked if the, the drum machine was a CR 78 Roland. So unfortunately I didn't have access to the actual CR 70. Like I had my 808, you know, I had my DR 110. I had all, you know, I collect that stuff, but I don't have that, but I did have the sounds on my MPC. So those are authentic CR seventy-eight sounds, but I did it in the MPC. But I got as close as possible, so don't 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 be pissed. So, you know, I really wanted to pay homage to the to the 80s vibe that really inspired me. And so I had that instrumental, but I didn't have like lyrics yet. And then one day out of like the blue, I woke up at like four a.m. and wrote the whole song. And I called my boy, Tim Motzer, who plays guitar. And we did the track together. And he's like, yo, I mean, I, I told him, like, yo, I did this song. It's done. Like, I'm going to get Mark Bell and this girl, Twyla, who was just signed to Sony. She was working with Victor Duplay. I'm going to get Twyla on it. Their voices can melt. They never met either. And that song, they're just so beautiful. And so after the song was done, I'm like, dude, this is the song for Grover. And so I called Grover's son, you know, G3. I was like, yo, you think your dad, was he really serious? He's like, yeah, man. Call Grover the next day. He's like, yo, bro, I'll come through. The next day, I'm in the studio, Larry Gold's studio. and Grover came through, bro. Knocked it out. First, he knocked out that version. Then he did a version, just him and sax all the way down just improvising all the way down. Now, I just found the two-inch reels of that session. So when I re-release everything, I'm going to re-release that version with just Grover. And this actually, that song landed on Grover's Gold album. And also, it was the second to last thing he did before he passed away.
0: So you didn't choose the drum sounds specifically just for him. You were kind of already working with those drum sounds in mind.
1: Well, well, it's funny because, right, it wasn't specifically for him, but I didn't use those sounds anymore on that album. Right. Every ever, all the other sounds were eight hundred eight sounds, and so um, it just, I guess, cosmically just worked out that way.
2: I remember hearing those drums was with was through Suggy Otis and Sly Stone, but like, is there anyone that you that sticks out for you that you, you heard those drums? You oh, know, Sly! And, uh, oh, you sure. remember them? Oh, for Who, sure,
1: Sly. For sure. Okay, right, of
2: course, right.
1: And Sly was before Shugie, right? Yes. Shugie mm-hmm. Shugie was like Suggy was maybe three or four years later, and still unknown, you know.
2: Yeah, but he was 16.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I could talk about Shuggy all day, so. Ah, okay. Yo, you got to check out the Alberta Cabrera remix of Strawberry Letter 23. It's fucking unbelievable. Kenny Dope did the drums. He did all the edits for Masters at Work. Cabrera. Yeah. Oh, crazy. And there's a Strawberry Letter. Yeah, it's incredible, bro. Wow,
2: okay. Yeah. I think there's something, there's a correlation between Strawberry Letter, Shuggie's version, and Joe Jackson stepping out. Huh. Like I hear, Like, when I hear them, if you listen, like, the bells as the sort of melody, which is the same as Strawberry Letter, um, like, if you, like, with me saying that, listen to them together, and, like, I have the feeling.
1: Huh. Okay, well, there were
2: different tempo ones. Yeah, you know, right. eighty and one's eighty six, but still. Okay. You know, I, I I just have a feeling there's something about you know because the straw that strawberry letter song I heard it first through the Brothers Johnson version. I was too young it's to total. know it
1: was Shuggie, Exactly, but still, yeah. Joe's probably a fan of Shuggie. Joe is amazing, no doubt. I don't know too much of his catalog, but that
2: song specifically, just from you know. The time when radio was actually good when I was a kid, you know, growing up in England in the eighties, radio was pretty on point. You know,
1: you would hear a song like that. You know, England in the eighties, I, I wanted to be in England in the eighties. Like I would buy Melody Maker, I would buy, um, uh, what was the other one? Enemy. 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 New Music Express. Yeah, I'd buy all those. By all the imports, we'd skip school just to get the new Depeche mode, you know, shake the disease seven inch. You know what I mean? It was like- That was my first concert. Me too? Well, not not no, no, sorry. No, not no, bullshit. First, uh, violator. Mine was Violator, Not sorry. my first concert, but my first on my own, with my own money by myself without my parents. Yeah. Back then you would look at someone and know-
2: Okay, you're going to this concert. Like, you know, it, it, nowadays it's, it's it seems like uh, yeah, it's quite common for someone to go to an ACDC concert and then Depeche mode. But back then yeah. it was a little different yeah. things were, you know, everything was mad clickish. Like, oh,
1: you're not, you're new wave or
2: you're heavy metal or whatever the fuck, you know. We
1: had it uh, simulcast on WXPN. So I got to hear John Peel every week. Really? Mm-hmm. Changed my whole life. He really affected me. It's
2: no doubt, him and Rodney, um, like Rodney on the Rock. Okay. That was the first time I heard Sonic Youth, Ride. Okay, um, it, on the West Coast on K Rock. He's okay. um, he's still with us. Okay. He's el- you know he's elder, and he was just just playing weird underground stuff on kind of like a pop new wave. You know yeah. they play like Berlin, yeah, the yeah. Metro and yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Mirror in the Bathroom. Oh, come know, on,
1: bro. But yo, um, Mirror in the Bathroom. It's that's Francois K's edit that's, that's in the, it's in the movie. It's in um, Ferris Bueller's Dale. Great edit. So speaking of
2: collaborations, being one of the few people to ha- have a quaz, you know, uh, verse. Yes. Or full track, actually. Um, like, because I know that Madlib was supposedly recording, like, slow and speeding it up. Okay. Like the vocals. So is it's obviously not like so I mean, did you send the beat? Like how right. can you break down the session if Absolutely. and is there an is do you have a quas a cappella? Is there still the, the the
1: file somewhere? I do have it. Damn it's it's, it's on two inch, <laughs> but I have it. So here's what happened. Wow. Um I'm working on adventures in Lo Fi, you know, getting all my favorite MCs or that I could find it or that would want to be on a weird record like this and then uh we were at winter music conference and you know otis and i we were really we talked all the time like we would talk on the regular so we were in a winter music conference yeah. just chilling he came to our party and whatever and you know back then man like everybody was at winter music conference so bbe was just doing the best parties and It was just a melting pot of, like, every producer, the who's who, right? So we're just chopping it up, talking. And I was like, yo, I got this. I'm doing an album for BBE. Like, I got this song. And I sampled uh, Raymond Scott. I I think it's perfect for you, man. And, uh, you know, either you or I would love Quaz. He was like, send me the track, you know. So I sent him the track. And, like three days later, he sends me the acapella back or not. Sorry. He sends me the, the whole track done like his verse on it. But then he also sent the acapella in case I wanted to do something or whatever. Now the process, I have no idea. I don't know what he does to get that, right. the vocal sound. You know, I asked him and he's like, you know, I do my thing. I'm like, okay, that's what you do would expect. Um, but yeah. And Wolf made that happen wolf Beautiful. wolf kind of facilitated okay. like the business end of it like so you know I, you i had a little budget made sure he got paid he got his royalties you know his writers and you know everything's cool so. you put a label on ux the black man and uh, and then you can go around and make speeches
0: and recordings and things like that but you know like it like it and
2: you know you can great black man, but don't go too far.
1: Yo, we independent even though you on a major, while you are water down, you're standing and posting with your pager. First she
2: was rolling hard, now you soft like Johnny Mathis.
1: Only one, one album and already your path is the wrong one. Yo, I'll be on a strong one. You probably in for a long one. I hit the bong one.
2: Time for your mind while you can't, cuz you keep it funny. Kevin Mahoney style champs. We be strictly A- trying
1: to blow out your app on the buzz vibe. The
0: L loop digger lamp. My main
1: pieces, the ones with the humble faces. While we going places,
0: vibing through the different spaces. Yeah, so this album, I guess for the listeners, because we kind of jumped into it. But so this is this is actually after the Silk one, 130 albums, right? You have two Silk 130 and then I yes. guess the... Is it the first King Brit album?
1: This is the first yeah, official King Brit album. By himself, album right, yeah. right, and this is Adventures in Lo-Fi, which is part of
0: the uh, BBE Beat Generation series. Yes, which is very much. Which
2: this was the third or fourth one?
0: I think it's third. Fourth. What your album? Do you remember? Because the first
2: one was Marley. It was Marley. No, Maul. the first
0: one is uh, Dilla. In the sequence of the B generation. The sequence of B generation is the first album is Dilla.
2: Dilla was the first
1: one? First one was P Rock.
0: No, no, no. The first one is Dilla. The yeah, first, was the, it? First, the first record to come out is Dilla because nobody else wanted to do it. Really? The second, the second record to come out is Pete. Okay. What? The yeah, first, that's right. The third is Will I Am. The fourth is Mal. Then it's Jeff. Then it's Spinner. Then it's yours. So you're actually seven. Yeah, yeah, Okay. But I think they were all... Because this is all coming out in the span of three years. And I think my understanding is he asked... Because he asked Jeff at the same time as he asked Dilla. But Jeff wouldn't do it. And then Dilla did it. And then the story is that Jeff heard Dilla's album. And he was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, Hmm. that's, That's like around that time, I think Jeff was... Like I think a lot of people were kind of... I guess for context so that people understand there really wasn't any producer led albums at that time. Like just, there wasn't in, in hip hop, especially like it wasn't really a in thing, hip- but, yeah. no. you know, and even, I mean, I guess in dance music it was, right. but I think the way that, that BBE was going about it, which was giving a producer free mm. reigns to do whatever they want. I mean, I remember us talking to Spinner and even he was saying it was quite a, it was quite mm. a daunting task. So I think, you know, Dilla was the one who who took the occasion first and was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I think that sort of liberated a lot of other people to be like, oh, okay, like I can do whatever I want. Um, but so, yeah, so your album, so this is your first, first King Brit album. Like you said, a lot of guests, but also I think I was kind of curious, like how much of that particular album would you say is a byproduct of your kind of connections to London and that the whole thing that was happening in London as well at the time, like around what came to be known as broken B and things like that. Cause just before we started, we were talking about Digo's take nine records and I kind of hadn't really thought, but like, I guess take nine stuff, it's not a million miles away from some of the beats on, on the album either. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it all seems kind of interconnected.
1: So I, I wouldn't say that England. It's funny you're asking this question because this is the one album that England really didn't have um, an effect on. Because you know, I was making hip hop stuff for a long time. I just didn't release it, right? You know what I mean. Just a few things like Silk One Thirty, but I had I do beats all the time. And so when Pete asked me about this, I was I jumped at it because I've been wanting to put out a an album that's more hip hop focused.
0: Right, right, This you is know? Pete from BBE.
1: Pete from BBE, yes. Right, right. And then, um, so the way I approached the record, <clears throat> I just randomly, because I'm a sample nut, bro. Like, I I love flipping samples all the time, right? And so I, li- this is before um, Rhythm Roulette. Like, I literally closed my eyes, because I'm a huge Cage, John Cage fan, and randomization and, and indeterminate stuff. So I started to just pick things randomly every day for like a month. So every day I would do like 20 beats for a month. So I had all these beats, man. Now, funny you said Digo, because Digo is one of my, my, we're both soundboards for each other. Right. Right. So, you know, I would send things to Digo. I would send things to other people that I, friends that I have, but Digo, Cause Digo doesn't, he, he's non-apologetic. Like he's just like, no shit. That sucks. You know what I mean? Like, and you'll (laughs) say, well, why? Like, wow, this, this, this. So he's always a good soundboard. So I sent him like 40 beats or whatever. And so he picked his favorites. I was like, okay, okay. You like that one. So he was like the first, the first person I sent stuff to and then he picked his favorites and then I kind of focused on those and then sent to my other friends and they picked their favorites from that. But Digo is like the initial Filter that's cut to the chase. Yeah, exactly. So it's funny you say that because Tech Nine, you know, there is a certain there's a certain swing that Tech Nine has that we kind of have a similar yeah, vibe. Yeah, yeah. But maybe subconsciously. I don't
0: maybe. Know. I mean, I was kind of curious also because if you see, I think another thing, I don't know how how much people realize and I mean, even when I was doing the book, it, I wasn't able to really kind of get that story in there, which was one of the stories that I really wish, I was kind of really sad to leave on the cutting floor. But the, the Philly-London connection I think is as, oh, as huge, has not been like, I've never really, I've not seen or heard or read a lot about it. But I think, you know, for people who don't know, like there was definitely a lot of conversations between yourself, Digo, um, Attica Blues. Well, I'll tell
1: you what happened. You I'll know, tell you what happened. I mean, we we actually in Blacktronica in three different classes really honed in on what this was all about. So basically, you know, my friendship with Digo and Mark right. started Before Hero. in yeah, started in 88. So I went over there I went over there in 88. Me, Goldie, Digo and Mark all met met up. So I went to see Mark and Digo because I was working at Tower Records and I had I had just got in Mr. Kirk's Nightmare as well as um um oh, what's the group? Um Shut Up and Dance. One of their one of their new singles. And so my mission when I went to England for the first time was to meet Mark and Digo. So I go to Dallas Hill and I go to the studios, right? Now downstairs, I didn't, I had no idea when I first went in there. So I said to the person, I was like, yo, I'm looking for Mark and Digo, they're four here. Oh yeah, yeah, mate, they're upstairs. So I go upstairs and the guy looked familiar. I'm like, man, he looks so familiar. So I went upstairs. Now, remember, this is my first time in England, bro. So I'm going crazy, dude. Like, England is where I wanted to move. So my main mission going over there, because I worked at Tower, was to transfer to work at Tower in in uh, Trafalgar Square, right? Okay. Trafalgar
0: Square. Yeah, yeah. that was. I think yeah. that's where the big one was, yeah.
1: And that's where I wanted to work. And so I had an interview, all of this stuff, right? And then... On my off days, I'm going to see Digo and all these different people that I, I met. And so met on on phone, telephone. And so I go up and they dude, they're in this attic and you gotta bend down. It's like a fucking you know, the ceilings are low and like Digo's like six two and you know, it's really funny and it's hot as shit in there and they're just cutting up beats on the nine fifty. It's just beautiful to see, right? Or on the Atari uh, 1040 ST. So they're doing it. And they're like, hey, great to meet, da-da-da. And I had blonde locks, right? So Digo looks at me like, you know, he's like, should I trust this guy? You know, Mark's more, like, warm. And it took a minute to get Digo. When you said the blonde locks, I immediately thought of Angelo from- Fishbone.
2: Fishbone. What am I hearing, man? That's it? Yeah. the, The fucking Mohawk. No doubt. Yeah. But like yeah, but back then that was that that wasn't a common, you know, not at that all. That wasn't a common man. thing at all. Not at all. Right. So he's like, who's this freak
1: over here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so um, you know, met the whole reinforced crew. Now, an hour later, Goldie comes in, right? And Goldie was like, Yeah, he had done the logo for reinforced and they were they were fixing it up and stuff. And then that was the first time I met Goldie. We've been friends ever since. And we just, everyone got along. It was just great. And then we're going downstairs to get some veggie patties or whatever around the corner, Jamaican patties. And there's this guy again. I'm like, dude, I know this guy. He's like, oh, that's Future Sounds of London. I'm like, get the <laughs> it sounds of London oh, is shit. downstairs with the big, beautiful studio, and they had just had the hit. And I just ordered it from Tower. So I met those guys. They were super nice, saw their studio. So this whole complex was just like incredible musicians and And so anyway, so that that meeting just exploded, right? So Me, Digo, we all just got really tight. And Digo is more of an adventurer. So he would fly places, fly, go see Underground Resistance in Detroit, whatever. So whenever he came to the States, always came to Philly, like always. And so he'd stay with me. We hang. And then he met Ursula through me. He met, you know, they met Jill Scott through me, you know. So. It just it was a natural thing and digo with dj with us at back to basics like he he's on the flyers you know what i mean like he just became he actually wow. almost bought a house in philly with a koi pond <laughs> across the street from me he's like dude it has a koi pond i'm like "Yeah, he should get it <laughs> as we await sister son's arrival Child stars, you'll listen to my tale triste as it was told to me by my sister afar earth her name and this
2: this is her story
1: sister moon hear me now fear my end too soon too soon my wounds are deep Escaping unhealing, can't believe, refuse to believe my children have no feelings for me. See them sealing a the state of early death and destruction. Watch my foolish daughters and sons as they kill me. Slowly kill me. Quicker kill me.
0: I had, I had forgot, but the, that Four Hero, um, what's the album? The double album.
1: Two uh, pages with uh, two, that's right, uh, two uh, pages. Ishmael's on it too. It's features Ishmael,
0: features, uh yeah. Ursula is on that record Ursula? as well, isn't she? Yeah, yes. So I'm saying it's like you have that record, and then, you know, it feels like from that point onwards, there's this connection between London, the UK in general, and like Philly. You know, I mean, uh, Lady, represent Alma. Lady Alma, there's the represent connection with Bahamedia being on that record. Um, I know Charlie's spoken about saying going to see you in Philly. Oh, um, dude, that's
1: know. Charlie, man. That story's crazy, dude. It's funny because I had Lavelle in class, James Lavelle, and Charlie, the whole Attica crew, and B+. And it's funny because, well, that's a whole other story. But in one, in one yeah, yeah, session? Yeah, oh, you
0: did incredible. Oh, you did a Moax special? Wow. That's yeah, funny. Yeah,
1: yeah. I surprised Charlie and them. They had no idea wow. Lavelle was coming in. And Lavelle hit me on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, dude, jump in class, pop in class next week. He's like, OK, cool. And so it, we talked about the day I met Holy Goof or James right. Lavelle. Holy Lavelle. Goof was his,
0: his DJ name. name.
1: And he was working at Honest John, so I had gone in there and I was on tour Diggable. So this is our first Diggable planet show at Honest at, at, at uh, sorry, in London. And I went to Honest John's cuz I knew I could get some breaks or whatever. And this guy Holy Goof is I'm like, "Yo, You write for Straight No Chaser. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, I love that magazine. We hit it off. And so I said, dude, come to the Diggable show tonight. I'll put you on the list. So I put him on the list, and he brought Charlie. And that's how I met them. What era of Diggable was this? This is the first, first tour ever, first album. Wow. So first tour for them? Yeah, yeah. I did the whole first tour, uh, you know, watched the whole album be created, like, amazing you know back in
2: la before i was really going to clubs there was a lot of like spoken word spots and like poetry sessions that we could go to when we're underage. and i was wondering because we kind of skipped like you know you're talking about the roots and you know studio sessions but like how did everyone meet or Did the was there a spot where you know also having rich medina narrate the album mm-hmm. um it seems like there's a spoken word influence was Huge. there a spot Huge. where was that prevalent in in philly Huge, back then bro
1: so first silk city back to basics we always had poets right so ursula rucker you know people jill just Scott would come through whatever and then rich rich had moved to philly i forget the year but when i first met rich i'm like yo you should come to silk city play some records whatever that was his first kind of dj gig in philly and then i was his voice i was like wow. dude you sound like gil scott And he's like you know, he was saying he does poetry as well. And and so I always kept that in the back of my head. And he had done one or two pieces at Silk. But then he and Bob Bido started Footwork. So it was a store in Philly, record store and like sneakers and stuff. And they did every Thursday, I think, they did a poetry open mic. And it became huge, right? So that's where like all the poets were coming out. You know, but there was always a poetry scene happening in Philly because Sonia Sanchez is from Philly, and so Sonia, so many people come to study with her or do workshops with her, and so the poetry scene has always been uh, pretty fertile in Philly. Yeah,
0: there was a spinoff as well, right? Back to okay. Basics spun off uh, Black Lily,
1: I think it was called. Well, no, so Black Lily. Wasn't, it? I don't want to say it was a spin-off. Yeah, sorry, my right? apologies. No, no, but uh,
0: Black Lady happens after Back to Basics kind of quiets down, right?
1: Definitely parallel. So here's what happened. You got Back to Basics, which is at its height. So we got two nights. Saturday night is our house, more house and up-tempo stuff. Monday is with the band. We have soul food and, you know... um a soul food buffet and DJs, so everything together. It's just an incredible melting pot of live music with DJs. So you got two two opposite things because it got just too crowded. It only it really legally only holds a hundred some people, and then it blew up. I mean, we would squeeze two hundred in there. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know how it is. And so, the Monday night. It was very machismo, though. Like, if if women wanted to get on stage, and it, it just, I don't know, we were young and just, you know, we were, I was more focused on the DJ side. And then, you know, the band, they kind of ran themselves in a way. And just it just happens, like, when a lot of the women wanted to get on stage and stuff, it just was intimidating, right? Like Lady Alma and Tanja and they're like, you know, get out of the way. We're getting on the microphone. But then there are other singers who aren't as, you know, upfront about it. And two of those singers were Jazzy Fat nasties. And so they were like, Look, we're gonna start our own night, basically. And so the roots are just blowing up like huge. And they had just come back from England. Because Giles had put them up. They were staying at Giles' crib, sleeping on his floor. They had put out... He had put out...
2: Is this a Do You Want More or Organics? Organics, I think.
1: There's Organics before they went to England. And then they did an EP... That's right. For Talking Loud, which had five songs on it. And then Do You Want More after that. So it was Giles that really... Took them to the next level. You know how you got to leave your country, they come back, and then you're a star, right? So they had come back to Philly, and then they started blowing up, and they're working on "Do You Want More?" And so jazzies were like, "We want to." They talked to Rich Nichols, rest in peace, and they were like, "We want to start our own night." And then Black Lily, which was very female oriented, blew. I mean, it blew up because of the timing of it. Jill Scott album just being released Jazzy's album or they're working on their album The Roots are blowing up so it shifted the energy went to Black Lily and back to basics still rocking it's too crowded anyway and so their night was on Tuesday or Wednesday and so both were running parallel and then silk died down when i went back on tour and it kind of quieted it down. The next year, and then yeah, so that's what it is. But there's a little documentary on Black Lily online. Oh, what? Yeah, it's really good. I will show check, it in
0: class. I'll so, check it out and uh, I'll add it to the show notes because that that'll be super yeah. good. When people talk about that kind of poetry slam, whatever scene you want to call it, I think for Philly, like Black Lily is is the spot. Absolutely. The I think just on that tip, the Jazzy Fat Nasty's they're related to Jay Swift, right? That's the thing. They're like Jay Swift's, um, are they like cousins? cousins? Jay
2: Swift from the Far Side?
0: Yeah, yeah, th- this is the thing. I've, I've just been doing, a, I've been editing a story. My friend my friend did a story on Jay Swift. There's a whole album produced by Jay Swift that is apparently, it was never released. It was basically Jay Swift got a deal to do a label and he signed the Jazzy's. And he did the whole album, and apparently it's this incredible, like kind of gospel, super kind of gospel church heavy album, but it never got released. And apparently, I think it's like sitting somewhere. I don't know who has the rights to it, but there's a J. Swift version of that album that never came out. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. So there's an there's even an LA connection through J. Swift and wow, wow, and the that. whole kind of like that far, that era of like the far side.
1: You got to understand too, like that time. Crazy. you know you had a uh, good life and you know there was so much back and forth mm-hmm. happening with all these poets and in that scene you had New york but you also had giant stuff right and then yeah. in la you also had brass right don't
2: sleep on brass don't don't freak right wow 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 yeah
1: that's delicious vinyl that's orlando and marcus wat and we had back to base, so we would all like trade. And then Giles, he had the fridge in London, and then UFO were in Japan. So the whole acid jazz scene, which I'm, I'm really, I want to do like a, a whole chapter on that for my book. But it's such an important scene, man. Huge. No,
0: now that you mentioned that, I think like people, there's that thing with, like brass, giant step. Mm-hmm. That- which Jan step was connected to you in Philly? Because right? I remember you talking about there's a sort of giant step in New York and giant step in Philly, mm-hmm. so to speak. Giles mm-hmm. in London and um, and also I remember because when I did the research for the book, what came out is that it's through Orlando at mm-hmm. Brass that Lavelle first hears DJ Shadow because he hears the Hollywood, he hears the Hollywood Basic mm-hmm. Twelve. Whenever he goes to Brass, like early '90s, and hears that. And that's how he finds out about DJ Shadow. So there is, you know, that kind of acid jazz, the US contingent of acid jazz, so to Absolutely. speak, helps to also kind of bring in the trip up what happens with Moax and the whole trip up wave. The Dust Brothers were producers for Delicious exactly, Vinyl. Exactly, man. You know, so... Yeah, man.
2: What? I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: if I remember, I don't remember what? exactly the story, but my understanding is that the guy who founded Delicious, who what was his name? I forget. He passed, right?
1: Not Orlando, uh, but the, his partner. No.
0: Yeah, his yeah. partner who was um like blonde guy. He mm-hmm. he kinda of was he wasn't super known, but like he went to um,
1: school together, Dust Brothers.
0: Right.
2: But I think the Dust Brothers did produce some, some Tone Loke stuff, yeah. right? Tone Loke was on Delicious, that's, right?
0: That's that's kinda of why yeah, yeah. That's kinda of what I remember. <laughs> About 10 years ago, you also kind of sneakily uh, put out a little beat project that I think not a lot of people necessarily know about or remember called soul Litchfield, which in turn, and I say sneakily because it kind of appeared one day and for a long time, people were like, and I remember it was Charlie duck who told me Charlie was like, no, that's kick. It was like, I know that that's kick. Um, and then through that, you then also did a series of events called Saturn never sleeps in Philly, which I think, you know, definitely was part of what was happening turn of the decade yeah. in terms of kind of global hotspots for beats. Yes. Um, it was yourself in yes. Lucille. Yes. What was it that brought you, like, why did you want to do the Soul Leachville project? And then what was it that also brought you to the whole that Never Sleeps and kind of connecting to the, what was happening with beats back then?
1: Okay. So, you know, I was a huge MySpace cadet, you know, so I was always on MySpace. I think that's where I first, I don't know if I met Kutma on MySpace, but I definitely followed your beats and, and your page. But that's where I—that's definitely Same. where I met Rosh G, And we would talk all the time, and he always had the dopest page. You know, his HTML skills or mm-hmm. whoever was doing his page was crazy. Um, that's where I first met Susie Analog. That's where I first met. Um, every Like Fly Low, Steve. Um, and it's funny, I had... Same. That if you era. remember, Koopman when you were in Blacktronica, no such thing, because, you know, I kind of knew who he was, but I didn't know he worked for M-Audio, and he was following all of my stuff. I was like, wow, right. that's cool. But so, <laughs> you know, I, it started from my space and really hearing all these incredible beat makers and dbc and then you know i would I'd be in la all the time and i remember you know going to low end maybe the maybe one of the first few low ends and i had known will um gaslant before low end because we did this thing uh it was this album it was like in 5-1 it was like the first kind of Electronic album in five point one surround sound, and these guys in L.A. did it with this guy I worked for Will I Am. Um, fuck, what's his name, dude? I can't think of his name. He used to make beats, really nice dude. And he put this all together, and I had done a remix for Josh One, this guy in in L.A., who's a kind of like a beat producer, more reggae ish vibes, and that mix was huge. Like Ibiza, like right now, if you play that song in Ibiza, like everyone runs to the dance floor. My mix of his song was huge. Right. And so with that project, I met Gaslamp. And so I used to go play Ole Madrid and all this stuff with Gray Boy back in the day, whatever. And so, you know, Gaslamp's like, I used to see, you, you know, I was sneaking in the clubs and I knew about you back in the day. And so we hit it off. And so, and then nobody, I knew nobody from, I did this movie for Scion, me and Questlove, getting our driver's licenses, and nobody did the score. And so, you know, there are these, all these little kind of puzzle pieces. Right? Wow, okay. And so when I first went to low end, I'm like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. The sound, everything, and so I met Kev, and then me and Kev hit it off, and I had no idea. He used to work for Sony and, you know, we started just going into like the, cause he's more my age. So we were talking more on that level and it just went from there. Right. Now that energy, you know, once Bruce and I linked up and, you know, we were a couple for a few years, you know, I always was doing beats and all of this stuff just on the side, but, you know, I was more known for house and, Of course, my Oba Funke project, which is heavily influenced by the whole broken beat scene in England. But I never really was putting out just beats, you know. And she's like, you need to release these. We need to start a label. And she's like, why don't we start, you know, something? And I was like, all right, in time. We'll do it in time. And then I got the opportunity to do this Sun Ra tribute for this exhibition at the Institute of Contemporary Art in Philly, and I was like, "This is it. This is the moment. It needs to start with our hero, Sun.
2: Is that the live at the live at the constellation? Is that live at the constellation part one? Is that the recording that I have? Live
1: at the constellation. Oh no, 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 no. This is a whole other, this oh, whole, whole thing. other thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was our first ever gig and sat we were trying to come up with a name and and i was like it has to have saturn in it because it's sunra and she was like well you know never sleeps like we don't sleep don't sleep on us you know what i mean like that whole thing saturn never sleeps like we never sleep we just always on point and so that's how the name came So rusil mm-hmm. came up with the the second half of that and then. From there, it w- dude, it went so well. It it was incredible that we just kept, all right, let's do another one. So we did the World Trade Center, and we got asked to do that uh, in New York because the guy was at the ICA, so he brought us up huge. It was like 5,000 people. This is only our second gig, all improv, all beats. So we're, we're taking like the idea of like what's happening in L.A., but we're incorporating our live musicians and kind of like the Philly vibe. And then to make this really quick. And then we just kept doing the series. Like it just got deeper and deeper. And I'm like, all right, we got to bring, let's bring our hero. Let's bring Ross. out. So we brought Ross. We brought out after one, we brought Toki, early Toki. We brought, I mean, dude, all this we video we filmed every all of this stuff it was wild man we brought everyone out sorry koopman we didn't bring you out but um but you know all good all good how loud was ross g's soundtrack (laughs) it was (laughs) it was it was beautiful four four reds four reds there's a story when i brought him to the moma i think you i don't know if you were in that meeting at when I was talking about it in Blacktronica, but basically he was coming from Japan to do our, my festival in New York, uh moon dance, right? And so Ross couldn't make sound checks. So I told the sound guy, dude, you have to be <laughs> on point when he plugs in. I'm telling, he's, I got this, I got this. Ross comes in, he, literally 10 minutes before a set, rushing him to the stage. He's cool. Smokes wow. one. He gets on, plugs in. Everyone's waiting. It's like 4,000 people just waiting. He plugs in and fucking almost blew the system. And this sound man is like talking to some girl, chilling. And all of a sudden, like, holy shit. He's running to the booth he's bringing down the levels but yeah so anyway in philly he was great and we worked on <laughs> dude we did like 7 or 8 songs like i have them they're unfinished yeah huh? yeah but uh wow shit. yeah but i just kind of don't feel we just never finished them he sent me cuz he he would record into um uh what is it called uh garage band
2: GarageBand 09. Then, exactly. We're both on GarageBand oh, nice. 09. I mean,
1: whatever works, bro. <laughs> he would bring it in the GarageBand, and then he sent me the files, and they weren't lining up. and So I kind of – it was just on a side. So I still have them, and um, I guess in time. I just – I don't know. They're sacred. I, I kind of don't, don't completely, know. yeah. But as far as this Field – you know, I had all these beats, and Russell's like, you put them out. So we started a label. That was the first release was Soul Litchfield, and we did, like, this recycled CD paper, and it was just, yeah, it was dope. Um, I don't even have it anymore.
0: I was going to say, the thing about a lot of this, because, so, Russell, Russell had a had a release as well. I think it was only ever, like, there was a Soul Litchfield release, and there was a Russell release, and then... flows to Paradise yeah and then i think you might have done there was for a little while some of the live recordings and then like everything disappeared from the internet and i was about to say actually that well we did the album
1: alpha pup put it out
0: did alpha pup put did. it out
1: yeah yeah daddy kevin man we, I didn't full know cer- that. that's full funny cer- it was our label but he distributed he right? did the distribution yeah yeah that's on uh, uh, spotify mm-hmm. everything else vanished Except the DJ sets, our DJ sets are on uh, archive.org. Okay,
0: I'll uh, yeah. I'll go and dig for the links, and I'll put them in the show notes because I remember looking for them when I was doing the book research and being frustrated that like a lot of it was just leading me. Oh to yeah, better. the album better. is on Spotify.
1: It does okay. it does really well, yeah. But the cool, all the other stuff, yeah. We you know, we just felt we're not together anymore. Let's. You know what I mean. That's just but it sounds it.
0: like you have a lot of documentation from a very special time. So hopefully at some point, you know, you can Ooh. find a way to uh, can find a way yeah. to present it.
1: Bro, uh, I got documentation from the first co-op. I got five or six co-ops, you know, because I had a mini DV camera.
0: You and I need to have a conversation about archives because uh, that's what I'm doing. Well,
1: he is helping for. me. He's going to help me uh, transfer the DV tapes digitize them. Uh, the next, yeah.
0: The next I'm talking case. to be actually about a project as well, but uh, I'm doing my, I'm going to do my thesis on music archives. So we should. Oh shit. Yes. Bro,
1: I got Japan, <laughs> UFO, like I got all Kyoto jazz massive stuff. Wow.
2: You should also talk to, to J rock because oh, back in the day in the nineties. I used to always see J before I even knew who he was. J would always have a camera out back in the nineties. Always. So like, I, you know,
1: he's a great great guy j-rock man we toured we toured in japan and um that's when i really got to meet like really know him (laughs) he's fucking hilarious man
2: how funny is that how funny is that dude man man. my face hurts around him (laughs) he's so funny yeah no doubt
1: i'm laughing now you know
2: i have a question speaking of blacktronica I saw an interview with it was yourself, Ronnie Size, Bahamdia, and Giles and, yeah. Giles, and you talked about you talked about New
1: Forms. Oh yeah, we broke that. Guru was supposed to be on no, that. No, no. So um, what the fuck? No, what happened? All right. So New Forms they did the track, and Ronnie wanted he was interested in having Guru on it, but Guru didn't feel like he fit the track. But he said, I know this girl, Bahamedea. she should be on it. And I didn't know this fact wow. until that moment. And I was like, I always wondered how you got on a track, broken beat track, I'm sorry, uh drum and bass track in England without going through us. Because we were the bridge. Right, right. And it was Guru, man. And it wasn't no ego thing. I was just saying, like, we were like the bridge to the UK. So that I was just like, yo, that's such a sick story.